Amen. Well, we've heard this morning about uh, consistency, finishing what we start, and the continued love of men in prison towards um, uh, man in darkness. Well, I was thinking that line from a hymn earlier, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. What country was that story in, brother? China. I thought it was in China. It sounded vaguely familiar to me. We've heard of that. We've heard about the fields being white unto harvest and the um, foundation amongst some religious groups, the old colony and the Catholics and others. And amen. I think I perceive that when we first moved to the area. May God continue to save many uh, and enable those churches that already have a strong, I mean, we'd all be open to whomever God saves and adds, but some churches seem to have a particular fruitful ministry there. Um, Paul, typically, whenever he went to preach, he went first to the most um, pious, the most religious, the most believing people. With the gospel, you say, well, to the Jew first, yes, but at Athens, when he couldn't find any Jews, he went to the philosophers, right? People who thought about important things. And that's uh, instructive for us. Um, Now, in his letter to Corinthians, he tells us all sorts of people were saved, and we want to go there as well. But there does seem to be that necessity in the building of God's kingdom. Think of a new church being started. that it is uh, the norm that God would use those whose lives he has um, overseen from the womb in preparation for ministry, as well as those who come with various needs. So um, amen to that. Um, but also, we want to, there are, there are not only the religious ready for harvest, There are many people with no religious foundation who, through what has been exposed in the last few years in particular, are disillusioned with the kingdoms of man and are ripe for the kingdom of the Lord. And may the Lord enable us to join with his many reapers to gather the lost. And Brother Dave was also exhorting us about... um, Suffering, how to respond to God in suffering. Humility, right? Humility towards God. Amen. Thank you, brothers, for that. Uh, Let's continue our study in Ephesians, shall we? (laughs) Uh, And if anyone was looking for the last week's message on the on the website, my apologies. I was supposed to give Storm a title, which I mean, I did think about sending it to him every day, including when I phoned him yesterday and said I'd send it later and didn't. But um, Lord willing, one day. Uh, so typically, we use the scripture reference in any case, and then the main theme. Last week, we looked at um, essentially three things. What, what God has done for you, what God has done to you, and what God has done and is doing in you and through you. And I suppose that would be a long title, but that's essentially it. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 18 to 23 is where we're reading. Paul is praying for them that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might 
and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Let's pray. Father, as we look into the Holy Scriptures, reminded, Lord, that it is God speaking to us. Open our ears and our hearts to thy word, that we might live, Father, not by the bread only that you provide for us, but by every word of God. So quicken us to thy word and thy word to us. Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The next time I hope to begin uh, and speak of that where Paul (laughs) finishes the chapter. Of course, he wasn't writing in chapters in his epistle, right? Far above all principality and power, the the exalted position of Christ. It's a, a portion on its own, but this morning I want to continue on that which we began last time, the power that worketh in us. Hallelujah. We looked at the three things. What uh, The first two more briefly. What God hath done uh, for us. He's prepared a place for us, Jesus said. I go now to prepare a place for you. Remember that in John? Now, I, rather than trick you, I'll point out, he did not say, I'm going to build a place for you. Place is already there. He hadn't gone back to his carpentry trade. He says, I've gone to prepare it for you. The temple of God. In my Father's house are many mansions. And we have, um, you know, changed the, the meaning of words. We've dumbed them down and nar- narrowed them. But a mansion's a room. It's not one of these big grand houses. You know, you've got these mansions within mansions, right? But they're rooms. And the old writers, you know, even in naturalists would write about the squirrels retiring to their mansions. A little hole, it's just a room. And if you, it's a reference to the temple. The Lord, um, when he cleaned out the hypocrites, he said, take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. The temple, you think of Ezekiel's temple and the holy place surrounded with mansions or rooms. In my father's house there are many Mansions, many rooms. There's one for you, and for you, and for you. All around the holy place. It's a, it's a picture. Where I am, there you may be also. This is a thing. It's not, you know, that, that oh, forgive me, that, um, that uh, shallow hymn, you know. I, I've got a, I'll settle just for a cottage below, but when, I, when I'm in glory, I want a mansion that's silver or gold line. This is... They're thinking of a big grand palace, you know, bigger than the White House and all that. Forgive me, it's nonsense. (laughs) Sorry to say that. Um, It's not what the scripture's talking about at all. It's not, oh, you know, you're going to have just this great palace to yourself. He said, you can keep it. A room beside the holy place. That was the the closest picture that could be... um, Uh, used to describe how very near to God. You're going to be with him forever. That's the point he was getting at. The place for you, a room. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He was a prophet. That house hadn't yet been built. Behold the beauty of the Lord. He had a vision of it. He described it to Solomon. Solomon built it. It was revealed to him by the Spirit. And how much of the heavenly realm he saw by the revelation, I don't know. This was he wanted to dwell there in the house of God. Behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Right? What God has done for you. He has prepared for you a place in heaven. You shall see him face to face. You shall know him as he knows you. All things are open and naked unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And you shall know God like that, completely unveiled and unhidden. 
and all of the um, comforts and joys that are there, what he's done for us. All right? um, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. You may know what is the hope of his calling, what you're expecting. He's called us to a banquet, to a feast, to a marriage, right? This is the hope. This is what we expect. This is why we can take joyfully the loss of all things on this earth. Because we have an expectation of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the expectation of glory. So he's done for us. Hallelujah. Well, he's done to us. Ah, the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints. And we touched on the, um, the responsibilities that come in heaven. The honor. Right? He's done for us. He's provided a place where he's done to you. He's made you uh, to have a place of honor and glory. Thou hast been faithful in a few things. Be thou ruler over many things. And what that will look like and what work that will look like. I have not seen nor ear heard, and it's not really penned out in the pages of Scripture. You can only know it by revelation from the Holy Ghost. And that's what Paul was praying for them, that you may know these things. He didn't pen them out for them. And uh, there, there is a, a, a knowledge at the very least, and I'm not encouraging us to have wild, fantastical visions. If God gives you one, praise God. I'm certainly not encouraging you to speak about those things. Paul said he was called up to heaven, heard on things which is not lawful for man to utter. I'm amazed at people who think there's something special, run around blathering all sorts of nonsense that they, uh, they think God has done for them. But the thing is, John, John wrote this, um, Ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Right? Paul's simili- having a, a similar thing here. Um, that you might know the things that are freely given to you of God. And it's a knowledge of things to come, a knowledge of things above. And he's praying, and by telling us this, he's directing us to seek these things and to pray for these things. That we might know him. And, uh, and what's the riches of his calling? Listen, um, children, think about this for me. Um, Children, and we'll call you, we'll use a, a semi-biblical version of children, that's under 20, all right? That's um, pretty generous. So, you know, that's quite an age range from the baby in arms to the, I'm a man, don't call me a child. Anyway, we're all little children, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, even Fred, you know, when he was still with us, uh, love you boy, you know. I'm a grandpa, but I'm a boy, you know. So let's not let our pride get the better of us. But think of something you would like or that you have that you really appreciate. Who wants to give me an answer? Something, a, a physical earthly possession that you have. Don't make us wait too long. Come on, somebody keep this moving. Nobody's falling all over themselves. I said under 20, brother. I know you're, you're just, uh, you're, just <laughs> you're thankful for your wife. And that would really backfire if we use that as an example, and you'll see why shortly. Oh, boy. Yeah, that would really not go so well. Um, Theoden, you want to bail me out here? Something, you don't, I don't mean that you worship it or you're, it's a sinful life. It's something you appreciate, one of your earthly possessions. Anything. Your bike. Excellent. Perfect. I was thinking of a bike, so we're on the same page. A bike. All right, just let's look at this. So now let's just walk with me, do a little thought experiment, I think they call it. Imagine that Theoden has no bike. No, no, or, or he's got, he's got a, 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 you know, kind of pull it out of the garbage. And um, you can get some good stuff out of the garbage, mind you. But a mangled one, and he's cobbled together various bits out of the the uh, garbage, so he has a working bike, kind of rusty, kind of clunky, but it gets him around from A to B, he can go on a fishing trip. And his dad, has got, you know, uh, whether he's been saving up or is loaded or comes into an inheritance bonus at work, whatever, and they uh, says, son, uh, come with me. And they go on, and they go to the bike store with the 
hottest bikes going and he shows them the top of the line, I don't know, mountain bike with 52 gears or elliptical um, sprockets and you can just ride up a wall, the whole thing and the helmet and the alder get. He says, son, next week I'm going to bring you here and they're custom fitting this bike for you and we're going to pick up this bike. Here's the money. There's your name on the, on the receipt. We're coming back this week, the next week for this bike. You with me on this? Thaden, how do you be feeling about that? Double thumbs up? Yeah, okay, yeah. I don't mean to cause problems for you, brother. Now, okay, now just, just follow me there. Now, Thaden knows that he's got this bike coming. He's got this little rust bucket of a bike. And in the neighborhood, the next day, moves in a mean family. And uh, their teenage boy, it's always, well, anyway, he just happens to be one, doesn't like, hmm, he's got a bike, I don't have one. He comes over and he grabs his bike and he flings it into the road and he gets run over by a truck and it's just mangled into bits. Now, apart from feeling sorry for the miserable state of this other boy, in terms of the loss of his bike, how do you think Thaden's going to feel? Gutted? My precious bike? Or is he going to think, oh, <laughs> just five more days, and I'm going to be riding in style. I'm going to make sure he never sees it. But, but uh, do you see the point? Now, imagine if he didn't know what his dad had for it. And he had worked hard on this bike. And it was a bit better than a rush bucket. You know, he painted it, he sanded it all down, painted it, all this work in it, and his only bike. And now it gets mangled. He'd be a lot more disappointed. His response to the loss of his bike is going to be greatly impacted by his knowledge of what's coming. Do you understand that? Get it? This is one of the reasons it's important for the Christian to know what God has for you. The world's allurement has no power over you when you know what's the hope of his calling. And you have that in your mind. And we alluded to that, I think, last time. Mentioned even, I think it was John Bullion. Couldn't remember which um, book and I didn't go and check whether it was Pilgrim's Progress, I think it was, or the Holy War, I think it was Pilgrim's Progress, where <clears throat> he was being questioned as to what it was that made him brought into such a state of experience where it seemed that neither the world nor sin had any power. And one of them, I think, was the reflections of Christ on the cross, but the other was when he thought of his future home. I think there was three things that would do it, and that was two of them. I'm told that Charles Spurgeon read Pilgrim's Progress a hundred times. Can't imagine how many times he read his Bible if he read a lesser book that he preached from it even. So, anyhow, I, I heard an old preacher say, if you have time to read anything else other than your Bible, you ought to have read the Pilgrim's Progress at least once. So, those were the old time preachers, and so they used to say. In any case, we looked at those things and we began to touch on what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And this has to do with the here and now, how we live, and the power by which we live. And the, the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit within is real. The Christian experiences that initially. Some, some people's initial experience is greater than others. Regardless, it's the same Holy Spirit. And Paul wants us to know that power. All right? And this is, uh, this is extremely important for us. In chapter 3 and verse 20, he makes this allusion. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now, what we hope to do, and won't do it right now, is look at, um, at the, uh, 
context of that statement. But before we do that, let's look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, right? The power that worketh in us. We talked a little bit last time about the power of death. That's not really what he's speaking of. Except that you're baptized into Jesus Christ's death as a Christian. And about the only positive thing there with death is that you die to sin. It said uh, in Romans, uh, Paul wrote that in that he died unto sin, he died unto sin once, and uh, death hath no more dominion over him. And then he, uh, sin shall not have dominion over you. Right? Philippians chapter three. This is a power, though, we're really focusing on. Uh, let's start in verse eight. Doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now there's there's some things going on there, Paul. We could read on a little. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, it will help us when we read the Scriptures to read in context. Uh, some of us are taking driver's education, which is a blessing to everyone else on the road. And uh, one of the things I hope they teach us is when we drive a motor car or ride a motorbike, um, and if you're on the road generally, look down the road. Don't stare at the license plate and the bumper in front of you. And react to that. You know, you see the brake lights and then you jam on your brakes. You need to look and see down the road the context in which you're driving. Oh, looks like there's an accident up there. There's lights flashing. Even if this person's brake light's not working or they're slow on the uh, response, then you begin to slow down. You want to respond to um, the road in the context of the overall picture. And so with the scriptures. And... Brethren, does it need to be said that Paul is not talking about forgetting yesterday's failures and looking forward to what God has for us today? We understand that. It's got nothing to do with this passage. He's talking about, in the context, right? Circumcised. Eighth day of the stock of Israel. He's talking about his religious heritage. He's talking about the good things of God. The covenant God made with Abraham and that through his seed Christ would come. He's talking about the law. He's talking about being trained up as a Pharisee. And the Lord Jesus commended the Pharisees. No, he didn't. He called them hypocrites. Yes, he did that too. I didn't say he never criticized, uh, rebuked them. He said the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore they bid you observe, that observe and do. The Pharisees, he never said that about the Sadducees. To them he says, you don't know the scriptures, nor the power of God. The problem with the Pharisees is their hypocrisy. But they were theologically sound. They had right doctrine. They believed in the resurrection. They accepted, they received all the scriptures, not just the five books of Moses as the Sadducees did. He had his religious training. The physical discipline, fasting and all of that. He was prepared to be a Christian. His his Jewish heritage. He says, forgetting that, I am looking for the resurrection. That was Paul. 
not forgetting all my failures. Paul didn't go on about his failures. What failures anyway since he got saved? His life was one glorious success of the gospel. Forgetting that. He didn't say forgetting yesterday. Forgetting those things which are behind. What's behind? The Mosaic Covenant is behind. What's before? Heaven's before. The resurrection of the dead. That's the context. And if you and I want to make other applications, well, fine enough as long as we do it biblically. But let's at least understand what Paul was speaking of. All right. I count not myself to have apprehended the resurrection from the dead. The glorified state. A body that is free from any human infirmity. I count myself not to have apprehended that yet. To, I count not myself to know God the way God knows me yet. And therefore I press toward that mark. This was Paul. Not, I still got some sins in my life I'm struggling with. They didn't. That's just got nothing to do with what Paul's writing on. So many people impose their failure and negative experience on the apostle. But that's not what he's writing about. He's writing, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He had one foot in heaven already. (laughs) And it was effected through this, that I may know him. He already knew him. He wanted to know him more, even as he was known. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. We'll look at that concept, uh, I trust, a little later on in different passages. The, the fellowship of his sufferings conformable to his death. And we'll see why and what that is about. The power of his resurrection. Paul wanted to have a deeper knowledge of the power of Christ's resurrection. That's what he's writing to Ephesians. When he he says this, that we just read. Uh, He wants us to know the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Set him as his own right hand. That's the power that works in the Christian. The power of the resurrection. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and set him in heaven. That's the almighty power of God. And that's the power, if you're born again, that's in you. Raised from the death of sin. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Raised from sin. <laughs> let's, let's go there to Romans 6. I jotted down a number of scriptures. This wasn't one of them. But let's go there. Get, uh... <clears throat> Romans 6. Chapter 1, uh, Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. He goes on, he explains it in, in tremendous detail. Right, the power of his resurrection. If sin and the life of sin and the motions of sins and the practice of sin is likened unto death, then the Christian life is likened unto the resurrection from the dead. And that is a tremendous power. And that is so far removed from forever struggling with sin and trying to suppress it and always feeling on the losing end of it. That is so commonly preached, I hope not here. It's a blasphemy against the gospel of Christ. And Paul wanted Christians everywhere to know the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. 
It's a complete, you know, misery loves company, the worldly saying goes. And people who are, in, because of weakness, oh ye of little faith and so on, who struggle and often fail with things, they, rather than thinking, oh God, and getting alone, God, cleanse me of this wicked unbelief. Let me walk in your gospel. Instead of doing that, they're happy to hear that other Christians have problems too. And it makes them feel better about themselves. It's awful. Isn't it? I'm so glad I had preachers that preached the standard of Christ. They didn't care about your feelings. Didn't go on moaning about failures. They testified what God had done in them, lifting them, setting their feet upon a rock. That's the gospel. Hallelujah. Save my soul. Listen, I tried as hard as anybody I've ever known to live a Christian life and couldn't do it. But when Jesus Christ gave me his Holy Spirit, it was easy. It was his life and not mine. I remember talking with a friend. He's a pastor today in another province. Sharing, a, you know, we're going over the testimony of a man. He said, he said uh, when God made me born again, I could forgive anybody anything. And my friend said, yeah, so can I, and so can you. I took my breath away, and I thought, yeah, he's right. Over 30 years later, I think I have. <laughs> Sad to say, the worst things done to me have been by professing Christians. Yeah, anyhow, there it is. The worldly people have actually been pretty decent. I will say this, that the kindest people I've ever known have been Christians as well. There's the thing. The most, and that's one of the proofs of Christianity. The most holy, the most charitable, the most gracious, forgiving, and loving people I've ever known have been those that love the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And it's a shame that Christian people are sometimes uh, so misguided that they can do such unkind things. May the Lord grant that we should not be such. Amen. And that we cover in love those that are. But this is a power of resurrection. Is there a greater power on earth than the raising of the dead? We make nuclear bombs to kill all sorts of people, but uh, we can't raise the dead. We can't go down to the cemeteries and dig up the graves and make the dry bones live. God can. This is what Paul wanted us to know, the power of the resurrection. Look, in, in chapter 5, of Romans, verse 6, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, right? So, um, without strength and dead are pretty nearly the same thing, not quite, you know, you have someone that's living, even if they're completely without strength, there's hope. Without strength, I'm going to look at that a little, little bit, without strength, moral strength, without strength of, I shouldn't say moral, righteousness toward God. Human beings can be moral, but they're moral in a, in a self-righteous way. Um, the good works of humanity are corrupted with pride and self. Kind deeds, well-meaning, but it's just, there's always some corrupting element in it. And it's in that context, Paul says, without strength. Right? The, the psalmist um, writes in several places that the pure in heart shall see God. Motives are pure and righteous and holy and good. Those are the ones that shall see God, the pure in heart. And humanity, without the redemption of Christ, are corrupt in their hearts. Their very righteous and good deeds are corrupted by the self-aggrandizing pride. The, the, the humility and modesty that they, uh, people often do is a fake humility and modesty that, because everyone knows that it's just unseemly to say, yes, I really am quite swell. I really am a champ. And I'm happy that you're all finally realizing it. You know, it's just... And to be known, right? It's a, it's a pride of, of man. It's an awful thing. <clears throat> without strength. When we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And so we have the forgiveness of sins. Paul expands on that. But he didn't come to just leave us as forgiven sinners. Because there needs to be strength in the 
strengthless. That's why we need the power of the resurrection. No, in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 6 we read this, and I think we quoted it last time. And this has to do with um, the difference in the priesthood, which uh, shows a difference in the covenants, right? The Mosaic covenant, do this and thou shalt live. Keep these commandments and you'll be rewarded with eternal life. The gospel is receive eternal life and you'll keep all these commandments. Uh, And in referring to Aaron... Versus Christ, Melchizedek, right? Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 15, is far more evident. For after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we notice that the apostle is interpreting... That passage, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, as a reference to eternity. We've looked at this uh, in recent weeks and months about how to read and understand and interpret the scriptures. Each line, each word has significance. Not after the law of a carnal commandment. We understand the word carnal just means um, uh, based on our natural life in that context. Right? It's not that... Well, that's pretty carnal, brother. It, it's not uh, derogatory in that you were, you, you know, that they, there was anything morally wrong or unrighteous. It's simply earthly. It relies on human self-effort. A carnal commandment. We're going to wash Aaron and dress him like this and pour this physical anointing oil on him. And we're going to consecrate him as a priest. And these are carnal commandments. They have to do with the physical activities of human beings. But Christ is made a priest forever after the power of an endless life, the power of resurrection. This is a difference, and this is, this is a power Paul wants to acquaint us with. And it's a power of life. Let's look in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The power of life. Paul in uh, chapter 4, is, uh, gives a short catalog here. Um, not a catalog even. It mentions a few things. You know, in verse 7, we have this treasure in earth and vessel. Let's read, read from 7 to um, 11. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Remember, uh, we read there in Philippians, Paul talked about the fellowship of his sufferings. We think, why would we want that? We'll, we'll, we'll read a little bit later about why Paul would want it for himself. But right here we see it's for others. The fellowship of Christ's sufferings in our lives <laughs> causes the life of Jesus to be manifest in our lives. So that others might see it. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Now, you have to be, we have to understand this correctly. I think the Roman Catholics uh, misunderstand this and, uh, as they, they get on a theme. Um, bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. In other words, his physical suffering. It's not talking exclusively about his hanging on the cross, but the whole persecuted life that led up to it. Mobs going after him and so on. The physical suffering of the believer here reveals the life that's inside. This is, this is um, similar to the alabaster box, right? It's this outward box. You crack it open. And that's how, how you get at the ointment. The box was sealed. That's how you get at the ointment inside. Uh, It's the breaking of our uh, outward man, as one Christian writer put it, 
to allow the exposure of the inward man, the suffering. Whereas it is common for people uh, who suffer to lash out or, or to go into a cave of, of depression and being downcast or, or to put on a, a, a false heroism or something. But for the apostles, being defamed, we bless, we entreat, right? And all their sufferings, it was the life of Christ that was, uh, that was manifested. This resurrected life, we're going to look, right? So we think of power, the power of resurrection, you know, like electricity or something. People like to make much of the fact it's that Greek word dunamis and from which we get our word dynamite. Well, okay, have fun with that. Uh, words do evolve over the centuries, you know. And it's not really talking about walking around with God dynamite inside of you. Boom, you know, it is power, it's the ability, it's the might to accomplish something, not explosion. Uh, then we, we think about that. We think about power, you know. You know young men, you know, doing chin-ups or pumping iron or motorbikes or fast cars or something. We think of power. And we translate that into the Christian, you know, you just feel this raw energy and power. And, and then they, they try to, you know, this power to overcome sin. And it's not, that's not the function, brethren. That's not the function at all. Uh, I mean, there, there is that element, perhaps. But you don't feel like electricity tingling through your spine and your hands, you know. All of that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the power of an endless life. We're talking about the power of love. Holiness. Meekness. Righteousness. We're talking, I mean, get ahead of ourselves, uh, perhaps. We're talking about when somebody does you something awful... The response of your heart is a genuine care and compassion for that person. Not this, oh, if I was a Christian, I'd just knock that. I've seen, I've heard that, those things said. That's not part of his resurrection. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And somebody's doing you evil, you're concerned for them because they're in a bad state spiritually. It's the power of an endless life. Life of love. Charity. That's the power that works in a Christian. And it's so far from, oh, Lord, help me to love that person. So far from that, brethren. That's the... That's the feeble flesh trying to do what the flesh can't do. That's a vain pursuit. Accept the, uh, the death. Baptize into his death. You know, the trouble with so many Christian people is not that they're so bad, it's that they're so good. Those of us who have next to no or no natural goodness find it the easiest to depend on Christ for everything. And those people who are naturally have a lot of decency about them find it the hardest because they tend to go around their daily life living by their natural goodness. And it's only in a crisis that they turn to Christ. <laughs> I wonder what's going wrong. It's true. Paul learned that early on. Uh, <laughs> that's why he would write on it. Those things are done. Not having my own righteousness, right? The life of Jesus, not me with my faults removed. <laughs> uh, brethren, uh, and this is again Pilgrim's Progress. You know, I think it was, he said, at my very best I see sin, right? That corruption that we talk about. Yeah, that's why it's the life of Jesus that you need. The power of his resurrection. Uh, there's so much we could talk about this glorious subject. Let's, um, let's move on in Second Corinthians chapter 12. <laughs> it is not expedient, verse 1, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory... 
I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Remember, Philippians, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. This is why he wanted to know the fellowship of his sufferings for himself. Earlier, it's for others that the life of Jesus might be manifested. Here, it's because when I have no natural strength, that's when I have Christ's strength. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I remember when I was white-knuckling it before I'd received from God the Holy Spirit. I couldn't love the brethren, let alone the enemies. I received a spirit that loves when I was born again. (laughs) I have a a bit of uh, a struggle with the interpretation of this passage about the thorn in the flesh. And it's not really central to our, our theme here this morning, but we'll mention it in passing. It is commonly, commonly viewed that this was something Paul needed to suffer to keep him humble. I think the NIV and uh, today's English in plain language version, various, you know, to keep me from being conceited, you know, and so on. And I, I, I admit I find great difficulty believing that's what was going on. And I understand that uh, supposedly the, the Greek word here, lest I should be exalted above measure. It appears only once elsewhere, and that has to do with the man of sin, referred to in his writing to the Thessalonians, you know, who exalteth himself. And so um, it implies self-exaltation. Well, I can't dispute that with you. Certainly the language here is ambiguous enough, and I think it reflects the uh, ambiguity in the Greek text, that... The focus is not on Paul's self-exaltation, but on Paul being exalted. I could be wrong. I understand that. Uh, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, basically, my bias is this way, brethren. And tell me if you agree with me. I believe that the power of the cross of Christ and the Holy Spirit's application of the believer being baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus is sufficient to cleanse a man's heart from pride. Would everyone agree with me? And I cannot imagine that it was necessary, that the only way God could keep Paul from pride was to give him this debilitating thing. Because the cross couldn't do it. Do you see the problem I have with that interpretation? I rather think, and I think the context and Paul's other writings will bear it out, that it was to prevent Paul from being exalted by everyone else that he had to suffer this. That's how I'm inclined to think. I realize I could be mistaken. But look at, look at the preceding verse. Verse 6, Though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be. I don't want anybody to think too highly of me. And in fact, neither did God, so he gave me this thorn in the flesh to make sure people didn't. That's how I would understand. 
In fact, if we look at um, uh, chapter 10, just to your left in this passage, when Paul is dealing with his critics, verse 8 of chapter 10, Though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification, not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. See, he was held in scorn and derision by others for his physical state, which is what I believe his thorn in the flesh had to do with. It brought him down in the eyes of others. In the Galatians, look, he he alludes to it, although in the reverse. Um, Where are we here? There it is, Galatians chapter 4, verse 13. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Notice, for I bear you record, sorry, I added the notice. I bear you record, if it had been possible, you'd have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Such were their love. Ye despise not my temptation in the flesh, nor reject it. Paul's physical state was so degraded that it would not be unusual for people to despise or reject him just on his physical appearance and presentation. And that is how I would understand the passage. That this was so far from necessary to keep Paul humble in his own eyes, I believe the cross of Christ is sufficient for that. But it was necessary to keep him from being worshipped as a god in the eyes of others. This is a common problem. And you see, I mean, some men aggrandize themselves today on their television ministries and so on. Uh, it's common to the heart of man. Perhaps I'm mistaken, but it, uh, it does not seem to line up with the, uh, the rest of what is taught on the effectiveness of the cross of Christ. That this would be necessary. Regardless... And this is why Paul besought the Lord that it might depart from him. He didn't need it for himself. But the Lord said unto him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, here it is, brethren, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. This power, what's he talking about? It's the power of an endless life. It's the power of love, righteousness, holiness, meekness, joy. It's the joy of Christ, not the joy of a new bicycle. Or success in business. Those are not evil things. Not the joy of a newborn babe. Those are blessings from God. But those are entirely natural. Everybody has that. The sinner has that. But you're in a dungeon, man. You've just been rejected. You've been falsely accused. You've had a beating laid on you. You've been thrown in this cold, dank, dark dungeon. And you're rejoicing? (laughs) The prisoners heard it. They prayed and sang praises to God. Most men blaspheme. The thief on the cross blasphemed Christ. He railed on him. If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. They're in prison so far from cursing God and blaming God. Lord, here I am faithfully serving you. And now look what's happened to me. As so many men in the flesh do. Paul's praising God. The power of Christ resting upon him. Digging deep. (laughs) So to speak, grit. Let's move on in Second Corinthians chapter 13. Since ye seek, verse 3, Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you, for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Paul, this power of the resurrection is lived toward others. 
right? This is why I say it's not like this supercharged electricity pulsating through your veins. It's the power of an endless life. It's the power of the love of God. Many waters cannot quench love. It's a power that no matter what people pour on you, they can't stop you loving them. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I want to grow in it. I, I, Paul was like a, a fountain that you couldn't even put a block on. You know, it's not like you could put it and it would gradually move it off. It's just like, you know, you, you just imagine a mega fire hose and you're trying to put something on it and just blast it. And that's the love, the life of Christ pouring out. I've been more, I think, um, it's, it's a bit like the, um, those little toys I had as a boy. It was, um, I mean, it was short and I was short, so it worked fine, right? It's like a blow-up, supposed to be a figure, but it didn't have arms and, uh, you know, they were paint part of the artwork. But it's basically a, an oval with a weight on the bottom. It's blow-up and you punch it, right? And it'll go down and point back up because it's got this ballast in the bottom. Anybody ever seen those things? No? I just had this rough Jamaican upbringing. At least I was just punching a toy, you know. Um, I, I was that toy for others, but never mind. I was kind of the youngest, so I, I received more punch, far more punches than I gave, let's put it that way. But I, I did get some on this uh, thing. A oh, wicked heart. Yeah, I wanted a little brother so I could have someone to beat up too. But uh, awful. This sin is so common. But no matter how often I've been knocked down, the Spirit of the Lord has always raised me up to life and faith and joy and love. Hmm. I think I can say in truth, I have no bitterness toward anybody, no matter what evil they've done me. But I, I wish only good for them. I could embrace, I can think of anybody who has done me anything, no matter how evil, I can tell you. I could love to see them walk through that door. In the, if I had the knowledge they were right with Jesus, I could just run and embrace them. I've got no resentment against any soul of man. That's the power of an endless life. Now, I, I haven't been tortured like some we, we heard about this morning and others. I've lived in North America. I don't think I've been, yeah, been physically assaulted for Jesus or anything. But I have had some people try to do some pretty nasty things to me. And some have been quite successful in doing some pretty hurtful and nasty things. Even if they haven't always intended it. But there's a power in Christ, and it's a power of love. And you want everybody to be reconciled to God. And you can just take him in your bosom. See, it's the life of look at look at this man, uh, Stephen. You want power. In your Christian life, this is the power you want. Now, Peter had given them a, a good barracking, um, right? He had <laughs> he'd preached pretty scorchingly at them. Filled with the Holy Spirit, and I su suggest strongly that you don't take this as a default approach to people. Tell them, you know, you stiff-necked. You always resist the Holy Ghost. I, I would believe you would need to know particularly that you are led by the Spirit of God and that the default is grace. Grace. But when they stoned, they stoned Stephen, Acts chapter 7, verse 59. They stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Here's the power now. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So far from get him, God. God will get you for that, you know. This is the power of an endless life. Oh, Lord. Don't let them go to hell because of what they're doing to me. Oh, Lord, grant them to be saved. Some of them, somehow, somebody. It's the power of an endless life. The power of the resurrected life. This is what's going to be in heaven, brethren. There's going to be pure love without all the bad stuff. Isn't that great? Fervent charity. Now, I was talking with someone recently 
and it appears some professing Christian and reasonable to believe that a genuine Christian had done something very unkind. And we, we talked about, let's not tell anyone about this. Right? Fervent charity. It's not something that the person would need to be excommunicated for, so why tell anyone? You see? Fervent charity, goodwill. Let's see. Wouldn't, because if other people knew, then it would lower their opinion of, of this person, and then their, their, um, that would make life more unpleasant for them. You see. And it, the circumstance didn't require it. So you want to bless. You, you, you get it. Now imagine in heaven that kind of love is there, but no negatives. Nobody to forbear, no irritating people. Let me rephrase that. All the irritatingness about people has been purged. <laughs> Sorry, you're still going to have me in heaven. Not just there, not just here. I just won't be so irritating. Or your tolerance won't be such that you don't notice it. One or the other. But uh, that's the thing. No, nobody doing you any harm. Nobody hating. Just fervent charity without anything to resist it. It's going to be unspeakably wonderful. That's the power of an endless life. Power of a resurrection. And that power of the resurrection has two aspects. The one we've been looking at. In everything in the Christian life. Um, even that passage there in Ephesians chapter 3. Oh, I, I, is it really 12.30? Oh my word. And you're short on sleep. Well, well, we'll leave it there. And we'll just, um, we'll come to the other some other time. We do need to move on. We can't, can't have endless sermons. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That's power, right, brethren? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him, this is where that passage, that verse that we, um, the second one we started with came from. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church. Right? This is what that power that worketh in us will do. That Christ may dwell in your heart, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend, to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. This is the power of the resurrection. It's the love of Christ. Fountaining out of you. Well of water springing up into everlasting life. Rivers of water flowing out of you. It's the love of Christ. To everybody, everywhere. That people can drink of a love that has an inexhaustible supply. I'm just so worn out loving people. I need somebody loving me. It's a thing that's foreign to the Christian's vocabulary. Because you have a fountain within. A well. Rivers. Paul wants us to know this, brethren. This is the thing to seek for. This is not now. Yeah, Paul knew that. Paul had the Corinthians, like, he called them carnal, babes in Christ. They look preborn in so many ways, right? The Galatians. This is the target. This is what to, to seek after. If there's a lack, this is what the lack is. And, uh, and he didn't say, now go and doubt your salvation or doubt your Christian experience. He's saying, okay, you've been playing on the splash pad. Jump in the deep end. <laughs> Lifeguard's there. You won't drown. 
but you want to be washed and waters to swim in. I want you to see <laughs> this Christian life isn't this little splash pad you've been playing in. It's this vast ocean. Turn your eyes here. Look. <laughs> Go and swim in it. Lose yourself in the love of God. That's what he's saying. I'm praying for you. You might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You might have this love. And it, it's... it's Far more than feelings, although you do have feelings. You have tender affection. You have compassion. You're moved with that. Um, and this is what we live in, being rooted and grounded in love. Then we get to experience the length and breadth and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. And we can read all about, read it over and over again, the love of Christ. Well, the time would fail. We'll talk some other time. We'll, I trust, move on in Ephesians. But two other points. We're going to look at the power for service and power over the devil. It's all part of this power of the resurrection. But you can look at those on your own time. You've been sitting a long time on those dreadfully uncomfortable pews. We will uh, close in prayer, shall we?